The Immaculate Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Just in the Pittsburgh area, you have Pittsburgh basketball, Penn State basketball. Of course, the Steelers game's coming up next game on December 15th. Ticket price is great for that one. And the Penguins games as well. Right now, just $15 you can get tickets to Wednesday night's Penguins game. And of course, the tickets, as I said, get cheaper as you get closer to the game. You can do it with an easy two-tap checkout. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bachet. I know our coach would have never done anything like that. Why throw gas? Uh, I know I said I want to answer, but when you do something like that, you throw your players in harm's way. Um, he's not on the field. You throw your players in harm's way when you do stuff like that with a band uh, I hate that for them. That was Ramon Foster talking about the T-shirt incident. Freddie Kitchens coming up before the Steelers-Browns game. It all was part of the drama. As the Steelers win it 20-13 to and get themselves back into the thick of the playoff race as they hold the sixth spot right now in the AFC. This is the Immaculate Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Ed Bouchette, who is back after a couple of weeks away. Ed, the back healing up. Um, how you feeling? I'm good, Tim. I have one more week at home, and then hopefully I can be set free. Uh, the back's coming along pretty good, though. I, I feel much better. Thank you. All right. Good Thanksgiving and everything? We had a great Thanksgiving, yes. Uh, grandkids came over. I couldn't pick up the little ones, but that's okay. Uh, they sat on my lap. <laughs> Sounds perfect. All right, let's get into this game. And we're going to start with the drama. Obviously, we kind of figured there wouldn't be any real on-the-field issues after what happened a couple of weeks ago between these teams. That's just not how things tend to go in these situations. Teams settle down and everything. But Freddie Kitchens did wear the T-shirt during the week. It said Pittsburgh started it. Uh, he was out at the movies. He said that his kids really wanted him to wear it, and he didn't cover it up. Um I mean, it's an NFL head coach, Ed. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, I've been doing this for a long time. As you know, Tim, I've covered Noel. I've covered Cower and Tomlin. And I couldn't conceive either, any of those three, even entertaining such a thing, even if their kids begged them to do it. Uh, yep. just wouldn't have done it. Uh, it just, it, to me, it was a bad look for Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, it certainly was. And whether or not it had any influence on the game, you never really know. But I know that, you know, you listen to that. We just heard Foster off the top and, and he seemed to think that it had some sort of effect on the mindset of the Steelers. And just um, he kind of felt bad for the players on the Browns for having to to deal with that. Meanwhile, the Steelers players went the other direction. They wore free pouncy T-shirts because, of course, their center suspended serving the second game of his suspension. So just kind of a different approach. Instead of uh, throwing gasoline, so to speak, on the fire with the other team, the Steelers more played, kind of circled the rally, circled the wagons around their own team. Yeah, you know, uh, Tim, what this reminded me of was, uh, you know, the Steelers have not been um, – angels in this matters uh, uh, either. Um, I mean, go back to that 
Jacksonville playoff game where they were insulting the Jaguars, shouting at the locker room before the game, uh, talking about their rematch with the Patriots in the AFC title game before they even played Jacksonville. So um, Jacksonville uh, got their uh, got their ire worked up over that and won that game. And uh, now we come two years later and it's on the Steelers' side that uh, they say they used that to help them. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just unnecessary. <laughs> to, I mean, these are NFL players. There's no reason to get them more upset or more motivated than they're already going to be. It's not going to help you in the game, and it certainly uh, it didn't help the Browns. Although early in this game, it looked like this thing might go a different direction. The Browns led this thing ten to nothing midway through the second quarter, Ed, and and the Steelers' offense was really struggling. Um, what were you thinking? kind of at that point when the the Browns had jumped out to the lead and the Steelers didn't look like they were going to be able to score any points. You know, I was chatting during the game, as I always do with uh, the athletic subscribers. And um, at that point when it was 10 nothing, I said, ah, this is going to be tough to come, overcome. Because yeah. I don't think this uh, – it's not. This offense is not, as it is right now, built to overcome that kind of thing. But, you know, it's the third time we've seen it. They were down 14 nothing to Miami and won. They were down 10 nothing. I can't remember which game it was, came back and won. And now again, 10 nothing and came back and won. So I think the defense has had a big part of that, although um, the Steelers' offense did it on its own coming back from 10 nothing. Yeah, the Steelers' offense and the Duck did it again. Uh, he wasn't amazing by any standpoints, but he gave them what they needed uh, he goes 14 of 21, 212 yards, and the touchdown. Um, you know, we thought the rest of this season was going to be a chance to kind of see Mason Rudolph and, and what he could bring this team and if he was some kind of possible long-term answer for this franchise after Ben Roethlisberger's done. And now they've shifted back to, okay, who can do more for us on Sunday to win this game? And this week the feeling was that it was Duck and he – he did it, Ed. He wasn't perfect, but what kind of a grade would you give him? Oh, a B, I yeah. think. Um, you know, uh, edging maybe toward a B plus because um, you, you have to understand there was no Pouncey, there was no Juju, um, there was no Connor, and this kid is making his second start now. He's played in some other games as well, but uh, it's just fascinating to me to watch him play. Uh, he did make that one mistake. I'm not so sure on the interception. I'm not so sure that wasn't Deontay Johnson, but that Duck took uh, took the blame for that for overthrowing him. He uh, did make that other mistake that was could have been crucial when uh, he tried to throw the ball left-handed and it it was a fumble and it frittered out of bounds. Fortunately for them, they wound up with three points. And uh, probably should have taken a sack late in the game to keep the clock moving, but I don't blame him for that. That's that's that goes against the grain of a quarterback to take right. a sack, you know. And he's thinking about so many other things. So I I, I thought he played really well, uh, solidified in fact his position as the starting quarterback on this team right now. And it's funny you you, you mentioned uh, not taking the sack, and it does because we. How often do we say with young quarterbacks, just throw the ball out of bounds, don't take right. the sack? And that was the the one situation where they could have run a little more time off the clock. It did not end up coming back to burn them, but he threw the ball away. Um, the interception 
It's interesting. So he throws the interception, which looked terrible, but you, you said it. It may have not been actually on him and as much his fall halfway through the fourth quarter there. Um, but then on a third and six in the final four minutes, they let him throw it and he gets the first down. And that was telling to me, Ed, because it, it was just showed to me some confidence that they have in him, that in that spot where they could have just run it up the middle and killed a little more clock before punting it. They let him try to get a first down there in the final four minutes on a third and six, and he comes through with a big throw. Yeah, that that was that was, and uh, you know they did it again um, uh, a little earlier, uh, a little later. I'm sorry, on third and six again, they had him throw, and that's when um, he threw incomplete. And the you know the announcers were saying, oh, they could have run off another forty seconds if they'd have run the ball. You know, if they'd have gotten a first down, that was the end of the game too. So uh, I had no problem with them doing that. Uh, I'm sure they told him to take the safe play. You know, don't. Um, uh, that's when he should have taken the sack. But nevertheless, don't uh, don't give the ball to the other guys. That was the only thing he had to avoid, and he did. So you you see Duck play, and you said solidifying his position. And we've seen Mason Rudolph and and some good and some bad from him. What do you think separates Duck from Rudolph at this point? What is he doing in these games that Rudolph was unable to? He looks calmer in the pocket to me, Tim. Just uh, uh, has more authority back there than, than Mason did late. Now, Mason early on, I, I thought, was looking okay. But the la- his last two games were just terrible. And who knows, that may have been uh, the result of having more tape on him by the opponents and them spotting some things I don't know but Duck seems to have uh, more uh, I don't want to say confidence because that would say uh, Mason doesn't have confidence and I'm not sure that's it but he just seems to be more in control and calm in the pocket this team needed some other offensive weapons to step up if they were going to win this game. Somebody had to fill the shoes of Juju, who was going to be out. Connor was going to be out. So let's start on the receiving side of things. And and I don't know if this is a turning point, Ed. I don't know if it's just a, a game that, that he turned up big when he needed to. But James Washington coming through with some big plays. He only had four catches, but they were big. 111 yards and the big touchdown before the half. And to me... That touchdown before the half, which was a difficult catch um, on a pretty good throw from Duck, uh, in which he was also interfered with on the play, but he makes the the catch for the touchdown. That turned this game around because you go from a, a real offensive struggle where it's going to be 10-3 to three at the half, suddenly it's tied, and it's almost like you're starting over in the second half. Um, how big was James Washington's performance, and do you think it's uh- something he can build on? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, he's been building on it, Tim. You know, he had that big 79-yard catch and run to help beat the Bengals the uh, previous week. We're seeing James Washington come of age here. You know, when they drafted him in the second round last year, they marveled at how he he had such strong hands and arms. He was able to go up. They call him 50-50 catches or combat catches. What that means is either either player uh, offense or defense has uh, the ability to come down with it and uh, he uh, we're seeing that now we saw it uh, even as as a rookie in practice and in uh, preseason games and then last year he just for whatever reason it didn't didn't happen for him uh, now we're seeing it happen with 
you know, without Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and he seemed to be a guy that that uh, Duck was looking for as well. Now, on the other side of the ball for Cleveland, Demarius Randall didn't make the trip to Pittsburgh, uh, benched by Kitchens. He's the guy that had the big hit on Deontay Johnson when these two teams met a couple of weeks ago, knocking Johnson out with the with the concussion. He was ejected from that game for that hit for targeting. Um, how big do you think it was that he wasn't in the secondary for the Browns in this game? I, I don't know, Tim. I mean, maybe big. You know, it's like saying if, if I don't know that this kid is as good, but if you took away uh, Minka Fitzgerald, I'm sorry, Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, how would that affect the Steelers? You know, um, who knows? But uh, you can only play with the guys you have. And uh, nobody, uh, at least in Pittsburgh, uh, is going to feel sorry for the Browns because they were missing a player because the Steelers have been missing a bunch. Yeah, for sure. The injuries obviously have piled up for the Steelers team. They just continue to find a way week after week. Now, we mentioned the receiving and James Washington and everything that he did. On the ground game, it was it was Snell stepping up, 16 carries, 63 yards. Those numbers don't leap off the page at you, but it was effective. He also got his first NFL touchdown. Um, and what stood out to me, Ed, I want to focus on that final drive for the Steelers. It was a drive that did not end in points, and it did not even end in them running out the clock. But it did allow them to take the ball from the one-yard line and to drive it. They get three first downs, and they ended up punting and pushing the Browns back, forcing the Browns to go the long field to try to tie this game. And Snell, first the 11-yard carry off the top, but then he ran it five times on that drive, and it was huge. Yeah, but uh, Benny Snell, um, you know, I was looking this up because uh, in college he was just a, you know, um, um, uh, a straight-ahead runner, grind out the tough yards, and remind me a little bit of Barry Foster. And I looked up their size. They're like the same size, 5'10", 222. And for those who don't know about Barry Foster, back in 1992, he virtually came out of nowhere. He was a fifth-round pick from Arkansas. Uh, Benny Snell's a fourth-round pick. Uh, Foster ran for 1,690 yards in in uh, 1992, and that's still a season record for the Steelers. And you know, Benny doesn't run as low to the ground as Foster did, but um, you know, it seems to me now, if if uh, when Connor comes back, James Connor is going to be the starter, but Benny Snell is certainly in the mix. Um, you know, Jalen Samuels started yesterday, but I think Snell's their go-to guy right now without Connor in there. It is impressive the depth that they've shown uh, with Samuels and what he can do. More catching the ball has been where he's more effective than running it, but then Snell can run it now that he's finally back healthy after the little surgery that he had to have. And hopefully you get Connor back, and then you have that depth where you can keep all those guys fresh, and maybe they can all contribute here uh, down the stretch. The thing about that that final drive as well, other than him successfully running it a few times and they ended up picking up those first downs, uh, they ran basically the same play, Ed, over and over and over again on that drive. Um, five times, I think, in nine plays, they went with the inside zone run. Um, I don't know if all teams are w- would be willing to do that or all offensive coordinators would be willing to say, you know what, this worked. Let's just do it and do it and do it until they can stop it. Um, it, it makes sense. The Steelers did it, and they were they almost got to the point where they were able to run the clock out. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and it, 
they, as we talked earlier, the third and six, uh, they, they let uh, Duck throw it, and he did. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, in that situation, you get that kind of line. Uh, it's time you get the lead. It's time to do that, and they did it. Um, you know, I thought maybe they could keep that going as well and keep it uh, eventually get into victory formation. Uh, they had to wait for an interception by Joe Hayden to do that, but uh, kudos to that offense and, and how they were able to do things yesterday. Yeah, and how about the line the last couple of weeks? Pouncey obviously out of there uh, with the suspension. They'll get him back next week, um, but they were able to fill that void of missing him and this offensive line um, stepped up and made the blocks when it needed to on Sunday. Yes, I mean, they, they have the pedigree and – People have been waiting for this. You know, it was kind of up and down early in the year. I think a lot of that had to do with uh, everything that was going on, missing the quarterback, you know, trying to adjust to uh, the, the two guys who, have, you know, Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges came into the season having never taken a regular game snap um, in, in the NFL. So uh, they've come a long way. Yeah, they certainly have. All right, let's look at the other side of the ball a, a little bit and, and what the defense was able to do, which was basically what uh, these, this defense has done all season. Although I kind of went into this game, Ed, feeling like maybe maybe they needed to score. The defense would need to score to actually come out on top in this game. They didn't do that, but they did turn the ball over, and they did get to Baker Mayfield a little bit as well. Sacked five times. They had pressure on him all day long. They made Baker Mayfield uncomfortable, but that's no surprise at this point with what Bud Debris and, and T.J. Watt have done all season long. Now, two turnovers, and, and you know, they came at good times for them. Um, you know, that interception we talked about, Hayden and, and Bud Dupree's um, strip sack of Baker Mayfield. Uh, th those were both big turnovers. Eve, it, it, the defense doesn't need to score. They need to stop the other team from scoring and maybe on some turnovers just set a, set its offense up, you know, um, with the score to put them in a good field position, that kind of thing. Um, it helps when defenses score, but that doesn't happen often. Uh, it's happened more often this year than we've seen in the past, but uh, you know it it it's it's a bonus when a defense can score. Mayfield held under 200 yards. He was 18 for 32, 196 touchdown, a pick, and he fumbled as well. I mentioned the the pass rush. So Bud Dupree had a, a sack and a half. Watt had one sack. At this point, Ed, is it can we call them the best pass rushing tandem in the NFL? Well, as Mark Caboli wrote. Name one better, and, um, you know, I don't know that anybody's coming up and stepping up and, and doing that um, as far as outside linebackers. You know, these guys, uh, we've seen it from Watt. You know, we've seen him progress every year, uh, and they've been waiting for that from Dupree, and they're getting that now. Uh, he is having a monster season, his best in his contract year. Um, good for him and good for the Steelers. We'll see what happens after the season, whether they are able to keep him, but you know they'll take what they're getting right now. Yeah, make the most out of the guy when you have him, and he's certainly contributing here. You mentioned Hayden, and and kind of sweet for Hayden as a former Brown, and and some of the guys I know after the game saying, I don't know how we got this guy from the Browns, but somehow Joe Hayden came over to the Steelers in the division, 
And uh, he even said after the game, I was there for a while, so you want to get back at them, and he certainly did that. Big play for Hayden. Was that the biggest play of the season for him, do you think? Oh, I don't know. Um, He's had a couple big picks. Go look. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know that the Browns were – they had to score a touchdown. I don't know that they were going to score a touchdown anyway. Um, Certainly that, though, put the end to it. Um, It reminded me of – Paul Amalo, you know, intercepting a pass against the Ravens in an AFC title game uh, a number of years ago. But, uh, yeah, that was that was huge. I'm, I'm looking right now to see what time it came. It was 117 left. So, 106, the Steelers got the ball. So, the, the, the Browns had it on their 40. Uh, they still had time, I guess. Um, so it was big, it was big play, no doubt. I, I'm just trying to remember if it was yeah. Joe's biggest of the season or not. So the defensive numbers, when you look at it, it was obviously they, they give up 10 points in the first half, and it's 10-10. They were down 10 nothing at one point. These are the Browns' numbers in the second half offensively. Just 96 total yards, 3.8 yards per play. Uh, they picked up seven first downs. They were 0 for 4 on third downs, and they scored just three points. Um, the Steelers brought it in the second half. I mean, they were good throughout defensively, but they really brought it in that second half and gave this team a big chance to win um, there were some adjustments made there. Overall, how about the adjustments this team made throughout the game when, when you're down 10 to nothing, some changes had to have been made for this team to turn things around? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, Tim. I don't know if there were changes made or not because um, if they were, they were doing it on the fly because right. um, they rebounded um, in the second quarter. You know, um, that's when they tied it all up, 10-10, and um, you know, that, that first drive by the Browns, I think the Browns did that to them the last game as well. They scored a touchdown on their first drive, and um, uh, it wasn't good. But then the Steelers stiffened, and, um, you know, while, while uh, Cleveland had a first down at the Steelers' six, um, had to settle for a field goal. And that, to me, was huge. Yep. Um, and, and, uh and then, you know, uh, the Browns did get another field goal uh, on another decent drive starting from the 30. But again, uh, they were inside the Steelers' uh, 20-yard line. They, were, they reached the 15 and had to settle for a field goal. And then the third, a third time, um, uh, I'm sorry, they, they scored a touchdown on that. But a third time, they uh, was at the... Uh, at the end, near the end in the fourth quarter, when they settled again for a field goal, they had reached the 12. So they were one of three, on my count, uh, in the red zone scoring touchdowns. And that, that, that was good by the Steelers' defense. Yeah, a little bend but don't break. Uh, now, Tomlin was uh, praised by the team after the game. He's been gaining more and more praise, I guess, as this season goes on. But um, how squarely do you think he should be in discussions about coach of the year considering what this team has had to deal with? Yeah, he's not going to win that, Tim, not no. with what's going on um, in Baltimore, especially to me, uh, San Francisco. But, you know, Baltimore yesterday beating or Sunday beating San Francisco was huge, uh, even up in Buffalo. I mean, nobody expected that out of the Bills. So while this is, I think, one of Mike Tomlin's better coaching efforts, um, it's different for him. He he has had, since he's arrived, he has had the great quarterback, you know, mostly good offenses, uh, a lot of times great defenses, and he, he's been expected to win uh, almost since he arrived here, you know, 
Steelers had won a Super Bowl just uh, um, two years earlier. Uh, so it's a different look for him, and we're finding out he's not only a good coach when he has the talent, he's a pretty damn good coach when a lot of that talent is not there. Yeah, and I guess that's what, what I'm trying to get put to is the point that is is this a season where when it's all said and done, if this team makes the playoffs, uh, people look at Tomlin in a different way because of what he's had to deal with this season? No doubt, Tim. No doubt. This is uh, carving out a new kind of um, uh, niche in his resume. You know, like I just mentioned, he – he hasn't had to do this before. He, hey, his team started 0-4 once, and they finished 8-8. Eight eight. That was nice. But he still had Ben, ben Roethlisberger as his quarterback. Um, he's This is monumental, and I think it, it, it's, it's becoming a big national story. This Doc Hodges thing, I've never seen anything like it. The guy, not only wasn't he drafted... He wasn't. Nobody wanted to sign him. The Steelers had him in a tryout. They signed him to a thousand. When when he made the tryout, they signed him to a thousand dollar signing bonus. You know that's that's not even pocket money anymore for NFL players. Uh, he can't go Christmas shopping with that. Um, he is, uh, and he's still a rookie. Uh, you know, it's not like he was on a team. He made the team last year, and now he's doing this. It's just, it's it's phenomenal. It really is. Yeah, and they've kind of they've given him what he needs to win here along the way so far and kept the playbook where it needs to be. It doesn't really get easy from here on out. I mean, this team is in that sixth spot in the AFC, hanging on to that second wild card spot, Ed, but uh, at the Cardinals isn't an easy game, and then they host the Bills. Um, then they're at the Jets, who are kind of either awful or sometimes randomly good. We'll have to see what happens there. And then, of course, the Ravens game in Baltimore to finish things out. I mean... You like to think the Jets game is maybe a lock, but other than that, they're going to have to figure out all these games considering the the personnel that they have going into them. I mean, there's there's no game, I think, on the schedule with Duck, at, Duck Hodges at quarterback and if Snell's in the backfield and depending on who you have at receiver that you can just say that's a guaranteed win. These are all going to be tricky. Yeah, there are no locks for this team. Um, the Jets could beat this team. Uh Arizona certainly out there. The Steelers have never played well out there. Um, you know, Buffalo coming in. Uh, Buffalo now is, uh, I think, has a lot of believers, you know, and they flex that game to Sunday primetime. Um, and, and Baltimore right now, you know, the Steelers almost beat them at home, but I think this is this Baltimore team has grown from there. And, you know, the Browns beat the Ravens in Baltimore. That may have been the most impressive victory in their history (laughs) at least their new history um so i the one thing the steelers could have going for it um besides their pluck and everything else they have on their side is maybe maybe i I think steeler fans should start rooting for the ravens to win every game now because that game could be meaningless for them they could have the number one seed already sewn up now they will be probably in a battle still with the Patriots, but uh, if if uh, if that game is meaningless for the Ravens, that could help because they probably won't play Lamar Jackson and maybe rest a bunch of other guys. If we as we've seen the Steelers do through the years, 
Yeah, that is a possibility. The Ravens, um, they are the one seed right now because they beat the Patriots head-to-head, both teams with two losses. But the Patriots' schedule down the stretch is tricky as well. So there's definitely a scenario where the Ravens go into that game with absolutely nothing to play for and the number one seed wrapped up. And then you, you, right, you imagine Lamar Jackson maybe plays a series and sits and, and the Ravens just kind of don't care. Although <laughs> Steelers-Ravens is Steelers-Ravens. So it'd certainly be interesting to see how the Ravens would handle that game um, if it didn't matter. Um, but but it would certainly help the Steelers if that's the situation. All right, when the Steelers win, we like to give out the game balls. I thought it was pretty cool that the Steelers gave their game ball, the Marquise Pouncey, guy that didn't play in the game, serving the second game of his suspension, but he gets the game ball from the, the Steelers, and, and he's such a, a big leader of the team. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> if I'm giving out game balls, it's not going to a guy who didn't play. Uh, but it does show the respect they have for him. Um, I'm, I'm giving mine to James Washington. I'm sorry. He, he, he made some really big catches that uh, propelled this team uh, to a victory. Uh, if he doesn't make those catches, I'm not sure they would have won that game. All right, so we'll start offense. You give Washington. I'll give mine to uh, Duck because I like to go a different direction than you, and, and Duck made the plays. He needed to uh, limited the the mistakes to to a few that they were not super costly and allowed Washington to make plays, I guess. So I'll give my offensive game ball to Duck Hodges. You give yours to Washington. On the defensive side, Ed, who do you like there? Well, there was a lot to pick from, yeah. Tim. Really, really, uh, there really are um, – I'm, I'm, as I'm talking here, I'm trying to go through some mental gymnastics to figure out who I'm going to give it to. Um, you know, I, I'm going to give it to Bud Dupree. Um, one and a half sacks. Um, he was second on a team, tied for second in tackles, tied for second in solo tackles, um, had two quarterback hurries, a pass defense, a forced fumble, uh, you know, and that strip sack. So, um, for the first time this year, I'm giving it to Bud Dupree. There you go. I feel like a week without Watt getting a uh, game ball is good. So I'll go a different direction from you, but I'll go with Hayden. Uh, the interception to end it against his former team had to feel pretty sweet for Joe Hayden, so he gets my defensive game ball. I mean, is Chris Boswell the only real choice on special teams, or do you have somebody under the radar? No, nah, I'm giving it to him. I mean, hey, look, 39 and 29-yard field goal shouldn't be tough. But, uh, you know, it's almost a, a season-long game ball for him, the way he's he's kicked it. He kicked like that last year. The Steelers not only would have won the division, they might have had a buy in the playoffs. Um, plus, his kickoffs were good. I, I just, um, you know, it's probably cliche to give it to the kicker, but that's, that's who I'm giving it to. All right, good stuff, me as well. So Boswell will get both game balls from us, and that is is going to do it for us. If you want to hear more on this game from the other side of things, check out the Civilized Barking podcast. Uh, They had some unkind words for Freddie Kitchens as well uh, on their podcast about the T-shirt and everything. So if you want to enjoy this, Steelers win even more from a different perspective. Tune into the other side with the Civilized Barking podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. And definitely check out The Athletic this week because some great promos running this week. You can get huge savings, free T-shirt as well if you subscribe. So to get that huge 
huge savings and the free t-shirt, go to theathletic.com slash the immaculate podcast. Uh, big savings, great time of year for it as well uh, with the holidays quickly approaching. Follow Ed on Twitter, Ed Bouchette. He's back in action. The back is feeling better. It's been great to have you back on the podcast, Ed, and we want to thank Marissa Morris, our producer, as well. We will be back later in the week with Mark Caboli previewing that next game out in Arizona.